Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. You can have a seat. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Um, I will tell you, when they are uh, teaching you to, uh, to plant a church, this is just off the cuff, this is not written down in my notes, um, when they are teaching you to plant a church, they didn't teach you, you know, all the things <laughs> of how to, uh, how to celebrate all the wins well, um, how to walk through it, but it's been really beautiful to watch and to be with and to sit with. I mean, I look out here and I, I, I know many of you for years, uh, <laughs> know many of you for, for, for months and it's really starting, but God is building something very beautiful here. So thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Greg McKinney. Uh, my, my wife, you met her earlier. We, we tag team this thing. By tag team, it's a lot of her giving me the, the hit in the back and then I come out because she, she's, she's the introvert of, of the family. We could probably say even the church. She beats, she beats you. Uh, but she's an amazing leader in this place and so I'm thankful to stand with her. Um, but this morning, we are uh, week two of a series uh, called Breaking Bread, which you see, which actually is part two uh, of a greater picture that we're trying to sit in this year. If you're setting in for the first time on, on a Sunday morning with us, like uh, know, that, know that it'll make sense for you. You'll be able to be with us. But it is a one little piece of the big scheme of the year. That this year, we really desired um, for a church that goes the pace of the kingdom of God. That I think in our world, we're really fast-paced. I mean, in general, anyone else with me, like, I'm just a fast-paced person. Anyone else really fast-paced? And often the kingdom of God is much slower. I mean, we see that in Scripture. It's much slower and then also faster, where God wants, you know, you to take the land that was given, but your fears say, who, right? Like, and so there's, there's the pace of the kingdom sometimes is fast-paced and then slow-paced. And then waiting, and then God says, take what's yours, eat, be merry. And so we really wanted this year to sit in on the rhythms of the kingdom. And so we, we defined it this way. If you've been with us, you know this. You're going to hear this spiel probably every week or every few weeks. We have named 12 rhythms that you can see in Scripture of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And rhythm one was fasting. We took a whole month, 12 months of the year. And so this month is the rhythm of breaking bread, which I, I cast the vision of last week in a, maybe a, a way that, that you had not heard it before. Um, you see, I told you last week, and what we were getting into is this idea of what is true breaking bread. And breaking bread was, was called it that in the, in the kingdom, in Acts and Luke. It was a very early church version of communion. 
very early church version of, of let's eat together, let's literally break bread afterwards, drink the cup of wine, and celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. Like, that was really it. And then, I told, as I told you last week, uh, it has sort of shifted. But I want to set the tone again. Bring us all back to the beginning of when the, the Holy Spirit fell and the disciples were doing this in a very different way maybe than um, our even just organization of a church can do, like in a a very typical, like structured way. So Acts chapter two, we're just going to open up right here. Okay. Verse 42 to 47. There's no slides this morning. So you're going to either have to take notes or dive into your Bible. Uh, Ooh, your your actual one with you or, or phone, whatever. Acts two, verse 42. It says the disciples devoted themselves They, the many, there was 3,000 that came to faith just under Peter's one message. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, their belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together, they would go to the hours of prayer, and they broke bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's this beautiful look, and I want our church to growingly look like this, where where we are like pursuing unity, where breaking bread is all about unity together at the table, where we are, 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 are engaging in the, the teaching, the, the, the ways of Jesus, and then we are living them out, like signs and wonders are going. And it literally says day by day, people were being added into their faith. And as, I ta- as we tackle this again today, I told you uh, this phrase last week. I think it was made into a little uh, reel, that's what they're called, reel, on uh, Instagram. And, and I said, traditions, if not secondary to the word, can begin to inform our interpretation of the word, right? Do you remember me saying that? That sometimes our experience can inform our interpretation, the, the way that we've seen it done or the way that we've experienced it. I mean, God himself, the good father, does not want your tradition of how you experienced your father to inform your interpretation of his fatherhood, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, God does not want our experience or our tradition of the world to, def- to define or inform his word. But Jesus says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to give you the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to bring you into an understanding of all truth. The Holy Spirit informs our interpretation. And so we've really just tackled this idea of breaking bread that sometimes my tradition of it can actually isolate me from the beauty of what Jesus is actually speaking. That it's not about this connection between God and me, but it's this connection between his kingdom, his body, and him. That I am here with you, 
that I'm, I'm, I'm living this life of, of, of not in isolation, not even in, in consistent, continual repentance, oh, shame on me. No, we are living in this life abundant togetherness. And what is beautiful, if you remember, uh, hit on some, some things that maybe uh, spurred you into confusion or it shocked you. We talked about how the spirit of individualism, it dominates our practice of communion. Do you remember that? How, how even it's hard. We even talk in the staff openly. How do we change this, right? Like maybe you, you felt this conviction of like, how do we not let communion just be about me and God? It's difficult, especially when, you know, we have to get a line going and, and literally get food in everyone's hands. And then, but the imagery is never to be just me and God. But hey, we're, we're in this together breaking bread, sharing in a Savior who gave his life for us, for all, whose blood cleansed all. And it was, it's this beautiful imagery. And last week, like, don't worry, we're going to get into the other. We're going to dive into this more and more and more each week. But what I love is that Jesus sets it up so clearly the night that he was betrayed. It's something actually that Paul Many people believe and struggle, uh, people who, who are trying to go back to Judaistic thinking and are wanting to abandon the, the, the writings of Paul and of James and, and any of the, the, the New Testament authors that are not canon, as in like, are not the Gospels, and people are struggling with Paul. But Paul, James, they literally take what Jesus has done and they bring the church back to him. And so we're going to see that today in this image of breaking bread. And, and what I'm really excited is, if you know the, the story of communion, there are two natural parts, right? There is the bread that you eat, and you want a little cracker, which sometimes, like, if you're here at Glory Church, it's a hit or miss. Sometimes you get that little wafer that you have to peel. Sometimes you get, like, an actual cracker. Sometimes it's a piece of bread, Right. But there's a bread, and then there's the cup. And if with that glory church, it's a hit or miss. Sometimes uh, we got the little cup. Sometimes we got grape juice. Other times we got cran grape. And you just get a little shock on the end. Like, what was that? But there's these two elements. And so for the next two weeks, we're sort of breaking them apart and diving deep. Like, what does it actually look like to, whenever we eat the bread, do so in remembrance of him. In fact, what was he even setting apart when he said, this is my body, this? <laughs> Why this? For those who are watching on the podcast, I'm, I'm flinging a, a, a flat piece of bread that has no rise to it. Why this is your body? And so we're going to dive into this, and I'm really excited. So we're, we're not even dealing with the blood yet. There's power in the blood of Jesus, and I'm, I'm excited to sit in that next week. Amen? Like, we're going to get there. But today, the body. Why the body? So we're going to open it up. Uh, it, he, he spoke it very clearly. Uh, we're we're going to dive right back into 1 Corinthians, where we ended last week, chapter 11, where Paul lays out what he received from the Lord, the imagery of the Lord's Supper being presented, and we're going to sit in on it. Paul says in verse 23 of chapter 11, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. And then verse, skip it to 26. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, it's really interesting. I've always been shocked. Why do we proclaim his death and not like death and life? Or not like, why do we not proclaim his resurrection until he comes? Even what, what he speaks is, Paul will later say, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's what he says. I preach Jesus and Jesus who died. And then it leaves you like, but then he says, and it will always be a stumbling block to the Jews and plain foolishness to the Gentiles that a God would come and die. Because he wants you to just sit with this reality that Jesus literally had a body, and he gave it. What I preach is Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and pure foolishness to the Gentiles. What God would kill himself? What God would choose to die? What God would take all rights and all authority and let it go? Take on the wrath of all of all sin. It's this beautiful imagery that we're going to get to dive into. Whew, I'm using, uh, just so that you know why I'm doing this, I'm using Brian's iPad right now. Uh, yeah, Brian, woo! Because I can't find mine, but it keeps locking, and I'm having to like do a mental note of what did he say his password was as I'm doing this. So that's, that's what's going on in my brain every time I look down, and I'm like, oh, crap because it doesn't work on my face. <laughs> I'm like, why is it? Okay, I got it back open. It's open, guys. <laughs> I'm just going to do this the whole time so it doesn't lock. But what he's, he's saying, and it's this beautiful imagery, but then like, I want to zoom you, what he's referring to is Luke chapter 22, where Jesus actually uses a little bit different words, and it's fine, because he, he just, they're different order. But where Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you, Jesus says, this is my body given for you, which I know that doesn't, like, Paul's okay for not saying that. But what I love about Jesus's literal word, given, is this beautiful imagery. Okay, so we're going to have, split this up into two different things. We're going to talk about the bread that was given for you and the idea that it was given bread. Does that make sense? Two different ideas. The bread itself and the fact that it was given. Okay? So just to separate, because so, I, I really like this. I, the word of given is just beautiful when you see what God did. So uh, we're going to dive into the bread first. I have two different loaves of bread up here, and neither of them were baked by my wife. Um, it would have been a lot better. I'm like feeling this. Man, this, this is hard bread. That's not how my wife's bread is, but this is hard. But I have two different kinds up here, all right? I have a flat little bread that you're like, do you put stuff in it and wrap it? Like, what, what do you do with that? Do you just nibble on it throughout the day? Nibble. The girls say nibble. And then I have this big bread that looks nice. It could be a sourdough. I don't know. I didn't buy it. But it is what is called leavened. And this is unleavened. You see, when I talk about bread, 
I often think of this because who eats the little things, right? Like when you think of bread, you're like, there's a good rise to it. I'm going to open this up. And what are you going to see? You're going to see the little pockets, the little holes throughout, and you know it had a good rise on it. And then not only that, I just love the smell of, of bread that's proven in the oven. Like it just, it smells so good. This is the imagery that we have typically of bread, but this is the imagery that Jesus set that night. And there is a there's a difference and a really cool fundamental difference that we're going to get into. But this is, this is unleavened. And the reason it was unleavened, and we know it historically it is, is because they're celebrating the Passover meal. They're celebrating the time when God's spirit, the spirit uh, of God hovered over Egypt and passed through the town. And wherever there was blood on the doorposts, the Holy Spirit passed over. But any time that there was not blood, there was death. It came to the firstborn boy. I mean, this is the same God that we worship today, but there, he, he shows his power in this way as a Pharaoh would not let his people go. And so finally, the Holy Spirit passed over and Pharaoh said, leave. So Passover brought freedom. And God told them, like, when I prep you for this, I need you to fill your little knapsacks with as much unleavened bread as possible. And the reason I need you to fill it with unleavened bread is because this will not stale. This, it's hard today. Think of how hard it's going to be in four days. You could throw it and break a head over this. Like, this is different. And so I need you to realize, like, you're going to have to feed your belly on the run. And this doesn't, this doesn't stale easily. It's also thin and, and easier to pack up. But more specifically, God had a wonderful relationship with these two things. Because if you know anything about leaven and unleavened, one has, anyone? Yeast, yeah. Which has an interesting concept. If you know anything about our New Testament writers and even Jesus sometimes, yeast gets a bad rep, right? If, you, if those of you who love uh, scriptures, you, you can think of all the times when yeast was given a bad rep. My, my wife and the ladies, and, and this is just a little thing, ladies are going through Leviticus and the women's Bible study, and they're, they're loving it. So if you want to wake up early and hang out with some moms, some single women, some married women, all jam-packed together at 6.30 on a Thursday, do it. They're diving into Leviticus, and it has been a delight to watch Kate because they're in this, the laws right now. Why did God choose unleavened for certain things? And then he okayed leaven for other things. And what is really cool is when you get into what yeast is, yeast is alive, right? A living organism. When you know anything about God's things, he does not permit anything that is alive to be burned. And so you see this, like the reason a woman is, is called unclean when she is on her period is not because she is bloody and filthy, but blood is an image of death and it's the passing of a, a seed. And so God demeans, he sees that the idea of, of, of a, a woman's seed being dead is unclean, not the woman itself. It's that God honors life. And the natural body of fallen woman is that we're dying, right? There's, there's death a part of things. And so it's not that she's dirty, but the same thing goes with this. God 
does not ask you to burn this because there's life in it. And so he constantly wants this unleavened bread. But more than this, uh, there are times when God does want leavened bread. And it's this imagery of a peace offering. You would bring the priest a peace offering of leavened bread, and he would get to break of it and eat it with you. And I, Kay was telling me this. I'm like, tell the church, if they want a peace offering, like they can bring me bread and I'll eat it with them any day, like any day. So you bring the good bread and the, the priest gets to eat it. But the unleavened bread, it goes away. And why? Yeast. It's an interesting thing. Yeast and sin are not the correlation that we want to bring today. What is a correlation is that whenever yeast is added into flour, it changes the structure of the flour on a molecular level. It really does. It's no longer flour in and of itself. The yeast takes over everything and it changes the whole composition. There are times when God wants a composition to be changed and he requests it. But when he says, I want this, I don't want you adding anything else to it. Because if you add anything like it, if you add anything to it, it will not just be like salt on top. But what if it's yeast that changes the whole composition? So we're going to get into this a little bit because God will later call us unleavened bread. But then he talks about the yeast of Pharisees whose doctrine is we would call sinful, but it's not just that it's sinful. It seeks to change the very fundamental makeup of what God is ordaining. Does that make sense? Because it, it's, it doesn't just want to shift and, and create all chaos and cause, but it seeks to change the unleavened, what God calls good and holy, into something else. Paul will later say that malice, hatred, disunity, that, that there is sins of an individual that if unconfessed can be like leaven to a batch. And it's not that your sin is destroying us. When the image of the body of Christ, what it is, is that there is an attack on the very, the very makeup of who you and I are when we leave things unconfessed. Does that make sense? So that if someone is living in sin, it's not their sin that keeps them from, that keeps them from the community. It's that they're allowing something to come in that changes the very makeup of who they are with the body. That's why they feel isolated. That's why they feel shame. That's why someone who's trying to talk to someone who's in sin doesn't know how to communicate well to them, right? Anyone in that place, like, you don't know how to communicate because you feel like there's already a severing. It's because when we have things, fears, worries, doubts, insecurities, and they go unspoken and unconfessed, it is like yeast added to something that God has said, you're already good. Confess it. Speak it up. Because it's something that's trying to shape up the whole thing. So you're unleavened bread. So there's the bread. We'll get into it later. But let's get into the four. Oh, I got to do this again. Okay. It's his birthday, guys, if you ever want to get in. But you have to know his birthday. But I have to do this cognitive, like, what is... <laughs> 
He says, what? I had to do a cognitive thing in my brain. What is Brian's birthday again? Oh, I got it. I know his birthday. I know his birthday. No. So now let's get into this four. So Jesus said, this is my body given for you. This word given is really cool. The word in the Greek is the same word when you deposit money into a bank. Okay, so you're giving something somewhere with the purpose of it accruing some interest. Like you're giving something for an experience to be had. It's really cool. So what I mean by this is God is saying this flat surface, holy, unchanged, not staling out, consistent, constant, it is never ending. My body is going to be given for you. I'm depositing it into you. I'm I'm giving it to you so that it could be for a purpose, a shared experience soon enough. Like I'm giving this for you. It's really interesting, breaking bread together will always provide a space where this personal response, where God says, I'm giving this to you, and a collective like experience. There's always a response that happens. And so Jesus, it's, the scene is interesting, as well as there's interesting objects, but the scene is interesting. We have Judas, the betrayer, who Jesus is saying, this is my body given for you. And Judas eats it, gets it. Then we have Thomas the doubter, right? Doubting Thomas, we like to call him, who gets the same bread. This is given for you. And then we go to Peter, who, who will later like, be told to deny Jesus. Like, I'm going all the way back to that night that he instituted it. He's given this to Peter, saying, this is my body given for you, even though we know he's about to deny Jesus. And then we got John, who's going to stay solid the whole time. In fact, Jesus is going to be going to get off to get crucified, and he's going to look at John, and he's going to say, my mother is yours, and you are hers. In other words, he's literally saying, you're going to take my role and take care of my mother. And he says, this is my body given for you. Do so in remembrance of me. Each and every person, he is freely giving his body. And I don't think we like sit on that, that one died for all so that all might live for him. The reality that whether, whether the majority of the earth will ever choose to love Jesus, he still came and he still gave himself, right? He still decided to deposit his life into the cosmos to save humanity. He, just, he decided to do it. Now, the issue is everyone, where Paul will say, people are without, without excuses, because all of creation has been able to know the unseen God. And so that's why you're without excuse, he says in, ver- in chapter one, when you do not know the Lord, because all of us have been given the ability to see him since the beginning of creation, his invisible attributes. That's what Paul words it. Quite literally, Paul is trying to say God himself has given all of humanity his whole heart, and every single day we do partake in him. But the issue is the partaking yields a response. Sometimes the response is just that we're going to continue to betray him. Judas, literally, it says when he took of it, it's really nasty, 
Satan entered into Judas. So that's weird. Or we're going to partake in him and our hearts are just going to respond out of callousness. Or we're going to partake in Jesus and our hearts going to respond in worship. The reality is Jesus isn't preached in some places and then other places he's silent. No, Jesus, the word of God, is living and active. And I think many of us know you will either respond in positive ways or you will yell crucify him, right? In negative ways. The giving of the bread always demands a response. It really does. And I think God wants us to respond because responding like shows the the either ugliness at times, like, or the rawness, we can even, that's a more beautiful word, like, the rawness of our hearts, a response does. And he does. But in giving this, hear this, the Holy Spirit, he knows this deposit, he knows how wayward they're going to be. But his body's still given. His flesh is still given. It's interesting, the body of Christ, Paul will say, it is a stumbling block, right? I told you. The death of, of Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness. It will always be this hardened way until Jesus is truly seen. And so to their dispute, if you know, if you remember talking last week, even the night that Jesus first instituted this, the spirit of isolation and individualism went rampant. They heard, this is my body given for you. And they were like, but which one is better? Which one of us is better? Quite literally, the next sentence says this, verse 24 of of Luke 22, a dispute arose among them as which one would be regarded as the greatest. They were given the bread and their response was so fleshly. Okay, but I'm better, right? And now we get this. I mean, a little heads up. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, right? They didn't have the Holy Spirit deposited in them yet. And so still, there was this, 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 this glossy-eyed, like, you're with me, God, but not, not, this isn't making any sense. Why are you handing me this piece of bread to eat? Which one's the greatest? And then he words something that Paul will hit on later. He says, the, re- the greatest among you is going to be like a servant. The greatest among you And the leader is going to be one who waits, who serves. And then he says this beautiful imagery. He says, you are those who have stood by me, and I give you, just as my Father has given me, I give you a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and then you will lead from there, my table, my kingdom. And so what God is doing is, is he's realizing, Jesus is realizing this is going to react, but I'm going to bring him back to the truth. And it's interesting though, this is why Paul is so frustrated at the Corinthians and at the Romans as we talked last week. You remember when, when he wrote very, very bluntly, like what you're doing, what you're doing when you meet together is not the Lord's Supper. Do you remember when he said that? And it's like, ooh, Paul, but we are eating together. We are doing what Jesus, we have bread and we got drink. Why aren't we? And what he says is what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper because you feed your own belly. Whereas the night Jesus was betrayed, he said, 
The greatest is the one who serves. And already, you're doing it wrong. Because the body of Jesus demands a response. And you're prohibiting people from being able to even respond to the body of Jesus because you're caring about yourself. God really hit me this week with this. He really hit me this week with this. The body of Christ, the proclamation of Jesus' death, it will provide someone with the ability to either say no or what we all hope, say yes, right? Then Jesus is told, he's spoken through Paul's words that when we eat the bread together, when we be of the body, Jesus will later say, the love for one another is what shows that you are my disciples. When we engage in the body as the body, his death is preached, Paul says. You proclaim his death. The reason Paul is so angry at the Corinthians is because while they do church, they are not proclaiming Jesus. <laughs> and they're proclaiming agendas. They're proclaiming disputes. They're proclaiming arguments. They're proclaiming factions. They're proclaiming the poor. They're proclaiming my image. They're proclaiming this food's really good. But the reason he's frustrated is because when we're together, if we're actually together, not letting yeast change the foundation, the fundamental makeup of us, because we got anger, we got fear, we got sin keeping us from each other. But when we're together, the reason Paul wants to paint the image of the body of Christ so much is because it provides people with something to respond to. And Paul's like, your, your lack of the poor, of caring, is making someone not just go home hungry, but they're going home spiritually hungry. Because you cared about doing everything you wanted. And my Savior's name, his hope, his conviction, his truth wasn't spoken. It wasn't declared. That one died for all, that all might live. It's just really beautiful. But then he continues, and, and he says in a later gospel uh, into the Romans, and, and this is what small group leaders in the room, I'll be honest, I would love to dive into 15 and 16, those two chapters, but if you could do me a favor, small group leaders, Dalton, can you make sure just let's read those as a group? Because chapter 15 and chapter 16 of Romans, Paul is looking at a church who is, has uh, Gentiles who have their own tradition, right? And they're trying to let tradition inform interpretation. And then you've got Jews who have their own traditions, right? And are trying to let their traditions inform their interpretation. And he is trying to bring them into the reality that this Lord's Supper is not just something we eat in, but we engage as. You are the body given as now a deposit into the world to reap a response. And so now, every time you don't operate as an unleavened body, you, one, prohibit your body from proclaiming Jesus. But two, 
The world is missing what was given for them. It's literally through us that his presence is made physically, visibly, theologically, like, I mean, wondrously known to the world. They will know you are my disciples by your love. Me, you being one as the Father is one. By you not having factions or disputes or holes or things that are trying to shift the whole fundamental makeup, but that you are one. And so to Romans 15, I love it. I sometimes call it like this is huge change in Romans 12 when he says, I need you to renew, have your minds be renewed, right? Like take every captive, uh, thought captive, be renewed. And then it's this whole shift to now that you are actively sitting in renewal, here's just how you engage in life as, an, as a body, and he, this is really beautiful. Chapter 15, he's like, welcome one another as Christ Jesus welcomed you. Did Jesus bring you to the table before you, quote unquote, believed in him fully? Yes, because he said, come to me if you're seeking me. And so now welcome someone who is seeking, who is, who is hopeless. Welcome them to the table just as Christ welcomed you, it says, to the glory of God. Now, I'm not even going to read this because I memorized. It keeps going down, and he maps out this whole picture of how you do it. Romans 15, he says, uh, he talks about bring the Gentiles and, and worship God in front of the Gentiles. And then say, Gentiles, sing with me of the hope. And he quotes another. And then he says, together, you and the Gentiles will sing. And then it's lastly, it says, the hope of the Lord will come to the Gentiles. And it has this beautiful imagery of how we engage in life as the body. So I told you very practically, we're going to eat bread at homes. One by one, day by day, people were added to the faith. It's because people like you and me got over our individual pursuits and decided, I'm going to fill my house with people who are seeking, with people who are found, with people who are hopeless, and with people who have an anchor already. And we're going to together show them and and. Be the image of the body given. Because I just fear that many times we don't let people respond to the body of Christ. Do you notice that? Like, when you don't walk together in the world, you're not letting the world have the opportunity to respond to Jesus through your unity. Does that make sense? Like, your children... What if they slowly start getting the image of the faith because you invite people into the house who share the same message, who have the same heart, who have the same joy, and they're breaking bread at a table with them. And they hear as that person starts owning up their sins because they realize I'm tired of letting a sin try to dominate the whole makeup of my relationship with the body of Christ. And so I'm going to, at the table, I'm going to just conversationally confess my sins and the, the, the prayers 
of a righteous person are going to be faithful. Confess your sins and he, to one another, and he is faithful and just to forgive. That happens as we be a body together. I just like, this is the way that they did it. There's a reason day by day, because they were like, hey, we're going to go eat. I, Sister Senorita, uh, whatever, she, she, she's baked bread again. That was for you, man. That was for you. Uh, she's baked bread again. Not only that, like we're just going to talk about why we are the way we are. Come hang out with us. And then day by day, people were like, this is not just like a tradition. This is not just some weird thing. I'm like eating, nibbling on this, and then drinking. These people have been deposited, they've been given something that I lack. Like I want in. What would it be like for your tables to start talking about what you've been deposited and realize that now as the body of Christ, we are given to the world to produce more life. It would just be fundamentally powerful. So the challenge, as we wrap up, wow, I, this is crummy up here. <laughs> it's a mess. I didn't realize how much I just mess with things. <laughs> this is a mess up here. Um, hey, the church is a mess up here, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. We, we are flaky at times, but we... <laughs> no, I... As we end, the challenge is this. We have 21 days from now until the series is over, three weeks. And I encourage you, each of you have a home. Uh, each of you have a place where you take up residence, where you have authority over a little kingdom. What would it look like for you to have one evening where you chose to host a meal, inviting to the table people who you knew, yes, as emotional support, that's great, but people that you've been wanting to get to know, as well as maybe that neighbor down the street who you know just went through a divorce, just went through a loss, just went through a fill in the blank, and you're gonna just host a meal and you are going to have to fumble around in awkwardness. How do I make it known that my Savior gave his body, his life for me, so that we break bread together? That's when it starts getting nitty-gritty. That's when you start taking authority of your home. That's when you start seeing, like, you have the ability to preach the gospel in all occasions, in all places. It's not the role of the pastor to lead everyone to Jesus. It's the role of the church to be the body that makes the response, right? So we're all in this together. That's my challenge. Right now, like, I'll just be honest, as we go down, um, and, and uh, I'm just going to conclude we're good. Yeah. Dalton's all for it. I'm going to say two things. 
and then we're going to dismiss. There's this body, the image, that was given for you to deposit a response. We're about to go downstairs and celebrate four years of being a body that was given. And in many ways, we have set and, and, and have done the correct thing. But if there is anyone who feels like this, you have a whole table downstairs, whole ability to what Jesus says. Through Paul, if there is factions among you, make it right. If there is a little yeast in your heart that's trying to change in your perception, the whole fundamental makeup of my body based on fear or sin or worry or doubt, take ownership of it. I mean, he even goes strong because, I mean, these were unrepentant sinners. He even says, hand them over to Satan. And then he later said, I mean, it's a mess. You can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 5 and 6. It's, it's a church that is celebrating that they are gracious to someone who is sleeping with his, uh, his, his parent. And they're celebrating that they can be gracious while someone is living in this active sin. And Paul's like, that is not, that's not the point, that you can be, be just patting someone on the back. It's okay. Their heart isn't changed. So it's, it's doing this to your church. So speak to them. I mean, it's a whole mess. And then there's a restoration piece, right? Second Corinthians is all like that person I spoke to, you guys are still doing it wrong because you, you've given them over to this and they finally repented and now you need to bring them back. But all of that happens when we do it together. All right. So we're going to have this ability to do it together. I'm done. I'm ready to eat with you. I'm not unlocking that, that iPad again. <laughs> But God, you are worthy to be praised. I thank you that, that the message that we have is so fundamentally skewed in the world's mind that it is either to people who thought they knew you, it's either just a stumbling block, something that they can't even wrap their mind around, to pure foolishness to the world. God, may we be okay with being babbling fools that... At the end of the day, we can stand in freedom and togetherness that the world has yet to experience, but God, we long for them to partake in your life. God, I thank you that your life was not just given for the Jews. Goodness, I'd be out. But you died for all, that all could live and no longer live for, their, for them, themselves, for myself, but for you who gave yourself up for me. So God, I just pray that our life this month would preach a Savior crucified, a message that is so uncommon, Buddha didn't die, so uncommon, this new age shows that I can make something if I want something. No, my God died and he made me alive. 
And so, God, I just pray power and authority over every table as they break bread together, every conversation that it can be one of unleavened unity, this image that Jesus is not skewed or he will not be added in any other doctrine other than my Savior who died. And then let people see that the life that these people they've known forever, the reason they have hope is because the life they live, they no longer live to themselves. But the Son of God is everything. So Holy Spirit, be honored in our breaking bread. Be honored in our breaking bread today. Let us care more about you than the Chiefs winning. <laughs> For real though, Jesus. And that you get the glory in every conversation downstairs. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.